If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Everything is personal right here Let me end on the N.A. Heat guaranteed when you press in the play Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And as always, my lovely co-host, Miss Kimberly Dillon, welcome are you are you excited about our guest today? I am like such an OG in the space that's like evolved. To, I mean, a lot. <laughs> right, right. All right. So, uh, our guest for today is Nick Kovacevic, who's the CEO of, and I will be corrected, but Green Lane Holdings, which is known as Green Lane, correct? And then is was Kushko, then Kush Bottles. Did I get it right? You got it right. Yeah. Well, Green Lane used to actually be Vape World. Okay. Um, and they were they were around uh, for uh, over sixteen, I think maybe seventeen years. Yeah. Um, started by selling the volcano vaporizers, mm-hmm. and um, I was uh, part of the co-founding team of Kush Bottles in 2010. We became Kushco, and then. Uh, back in September of last year, merged our company together with Green Lane. Yeah. Um, so now I'm Green Lane. I got my Green Lane sweater. So you represent. You represent. All right. So before we got started, I have so many questions for you because uh, my ADD is kicking in. There's to have somebody who's been through this journey. But we were talking before we started about the Kush bottle days, and I was saying that I remember us going from our Kush Kingdom dispensaries going to Kush bottles to get our bottles and then our bags. But I think then we started going downtown because it became cheaper than you guys at some point. But, uh, and man, that was, that was a wild ride, right? Like 2010, 2011, 2012, right before you were just talking about Anaheim doing the, the blackouts, right? <laughs> Talk yeah. about those, those back in the day days so people can kind of relate to how the industry, where we started from and sort of how it progressed. Yeah. So uh, it was a nice uh, start down memory lane and I'm glad we get to talk about it here today. Uh, You know, look, it was a very different time and it was the wild, wild west, so to speak. Uh, But I think there was just a lot of good people in the industry back then. And 
Um, it's funny that, you know, I remember Kush Kingdom, right? And uh, I remember uh, a lot of the customers we had, uh, great customers. And one of the frustrating things was, um, you know, throughout those early years, customers would get shut down for for no reason, right? And, uh, you know, it was either a city or or federal government that, you know, for some reason targeted that that client. And so, you know, as a business to business provider, you, you do a good job, you give this good service, you're providing them good products, and then you didn't do anything wrong, but your customer's gone. Um, so it was very tough to build a business back then. But, um, you know, we started, we sold, uh, you know, pop-top bottles was what we were known for, bags, labels, uh, RX bags. And, uh, you know, we prided ourselves on service and being able to deliver same day, next day. Uh, we ran our own trucks. And, you know, of course, people, um, you know, everyone's looking for for price savings and we, we get that. And, you know, it took us a long time to really evolve our supply chain and, and you know, be able to produce a lot of these products ourselves, um, producing them in cost-effective areas. And, you know, our logistics have come a very, very long way. Um, and, you know, today uh, the whole game has changed um, tenfold. And, and now we're, you know, proud to be servicing, you know, some of the largest companies in cannabis with similar product sets to what we were doing uh, over a decade ago. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so before I really dive into the business and I have to tell you, uh, and I have to compliment you. So I was watching interviews with you and you are smooth. You, especially under pressure, man, you talk in these amazing sound bites. There was a, I think it was a Fox interview I was watching. The guy trying to remember the actual conversation, but he threw like a curveball about, I think it was kids. What, what about kids using cannabis or some of that? Man, I am telling you, you, first of all, you talk in, in these sound bites that would be perfect for television. It was just like quick hits. And then he tried to throw this at you and you sort of, you got it right under pressure quickly, explained to him, threw some science at him and weren't riled at all. But did you have like media training for this? Because it was, it was really good. Yeah, thanks. I actually remember that. I was pretty, uh, pretty stoked on uh, on how that uh, transpired. There it was, uh, yeah, the data point. You know, a lot of people say, you know, it was like a legalization uh, is going to bring you know more teen use or kid use, and it's like no, the data is actually the opposite, right? And um, I think that's getting more widely known. But um, always love the opportunity to talk to uh, prohibitionists and uh, you know folks of a of a uh, an older mindset and uh, kind of school them on the the facts and reality that uh, yeah. cannabis ain't so big and bad and, <clears throat> and dangerous, right? But um, no, look, I, I I learned everything on the job, uh, you know, come come a long way. But I think it goes back to my background. I played basketball all through college, and was always, uh, you know, pride of myself on being able to be uh, quick on my feet, uh, literally, and uh, and and obviously as well, and. Um, conversations, you know, it's it's a skill set that uh, really helps when you're um, in the public eye, and helps when you're you know trying to run a company and build a business. And you know, I'm very fortunate uh, to to have used those skills to get where I'm today. Where did you play basketball? Where are you from? I'm from. Uh, I grew up in Santa Cruz, uh, California. I went to high school in San Jose. Went to uh, played at San Jose State one year, and then I ended up in Missouri. Uh, for my last few years of college, playing basketball at a Division II school out there, so got to see uh, got to see the Midwest, and promptly came back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did get back to California. 
No, you're not. You're not kidding. It's all right. <laughs> uh, going back to the interview again, I think I remember now. Uh, it's not just that you educate them on, on you know, it's uh, uh, the, the use of for teens and kids uh, in states that were legalized actually went down. But it, you said something profound and so quick. And I think what you said is, uh, you know, cannabis is you have to be 21 and over. And I'm paraphrasing. It's not for kids. So to have these, uh, it's the same thing as alcohol. Uh, if it's 21 and over, you have to show ID. You have to walk into a legal. So I think what you made a really good point of saying, well, most likely it's in places that do not have uh, legal cannabis programs because the kids are getting in the black market. And it made so, so much sense. And the guy was like, yeah, I mean, it's a great answer. It just made, makes perfect sense. And, and prohibitionists always pick up on that, you know, uh, kids are using it. Well, how? If you have a legal cannabis program, you have to be 21. You have to go in and show, not saying that kids can't illegally get alcohol. Maybe they'll get somebody else to buy it for them. But as far as a program is concerned for having legal cannabis use, yeah. you have that in place. It's usually the places that don't have those that have those uh, accessible yeah. uses. Yeah, I remember that. You know, we the, the example, you know, is, you know, just common sense, right? You put you, you keep a product on the street, people have access to it. You put it behind an age-gated store, makes it more difficult. And I actually have a personal experience uh, with that. I was uh, young, uh, you know, too young to be, uh, to be doing any of this. Uh, in Santa Cruz growing up, you know, I think I was in high school, right? And uh, we used to go downtown and try to get beer, you know, try to, try to get alcohol. And, you know, you end up, you're in a situation where you, you either have to, you know, get a fake ID or you got to uh, ask someone to buy it for you or you got to steal it. Right. I mean, it's tough. Um, it's not exactly available. So we, we had asked, uh, I think we'd, you know, asked some guy, a homeless guy on the street, if he could buy it, you know, we struck out, right. right. It's, it's hard. So we struck out on the alcohol because it's behind, you know, and, and I don't even think they do a good enough job. Right. But because these are stores anyone can walk into. Right. But um, uh, we struck out and and instead my buddy turned to me and said, you know, hey, should we go buy some some weed? And I never really smoked weed, right? This is my first time. So okay, I mean, we can do that. Yeah, because the guy down on the corner selling weed at the bus station, he didn't ask for ID. Right. So it was night and day the difference between trying to procure alcohol, which is far more dangerous, right? But it's legal and regulated versus cannabis where we could just go as 15, 16 year old kids and pay the guy 20 bucks. And we've got, we've got some weed and you know, the product's not tested. Who knows what was in that crap. Right. So I had the personal experience and, and it's just common sense, right? Yeah. Unless you do regulate, you know, and test and put this behind a counter, it is not going to be safe and it's going to be actually more accessible for, for people that shouldn't have access. Yeah. A hundred percent agreed. Uh, so let me, let me ask, I'm curious about this. Tommy Chong uh, went to jail for selling bongs, which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. You guys were in the business of selling bottles and bags and, you know, uh, peripheral items to the cannabis industry. Did you have a concern or fear? I, you're not selling cannabis per se, but there was a precedent that was set with uh, Tommy Chong. What was your mindset back in that in those days when, when that was happening? 
Yeah, no, we, I remember that we, you know, we ended up getting into that category and we thought about that. That was Operation Pipe Dream, which was, you know, one of the most epic uh, government wasteful spending endeavors, right? <laughs> and they just spent all this money and they basically arrested one guy, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, exactly. uh, and then, you know, ultimately he, he was, you know, luckily not in there too long, but um, so silly. And, you know, of course it crossed our mind, right? Is like, you know, my dad was a, prosecutor and a judge. And, um, you know, I think the reason we were more focused on the ancillary side of the business was um, to not take the risk uh, that, you know, comes with plant touching, especially back in the Prop 215 days. Um, but, you know, we were getting into the bongs and pipes and we thought about this thing with with Operation Pipe Dream and Tommy Chong. And, you know, it's a risk. And, you know, I remember my uh, president and COO at the time is like, Hey, look, if we just if we start thinking about that, then we might as well close up shop, right? Because you could nitpick other parts of our business and say, you know, it's money laundering because we're taking money from illegal op. You know, you could make an argument anyway. And so, you know, we just we just pushed along. And actually, it's funny because we we got out of the business of selling those, and Greenlane was in the business, and Greenlane then does an IPO on Nasdaq. So you got these this thing of the paraphernalia. That somebody went for to jail for, and now you got a company doing a, a, an historic Nasdaq IPO in 2019. Um, it's incredible, right? And now we're selling these products again and doing it very openly and above board, fully compliant. Uh, and it just shows how the regulatory policy has yet to catch up with the reality of the marketplace and consumer needs, and and really um, the uh, laws and jurisdictions that we comply with that aren't necessarily uh, always um, you know, represented in, in the blanket language that the federal government puts out. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with uh, this whole thing of the hypocrisy of these, uh, um, of the laws that are set in place. Well, let me, let me just mention one thing before I even go there on, on the Tommy Chong thing, because Yes, he was in. Yes, he was locked up. He was in jail, and it was a. You know, he talked about his experience many times. But he did get to be cellmates with uh, Jordan Belfort, and uh, Jordan was telling him the stories, and he's like, "You should write that down." And hence, there's Wolf of Wall Street. So something good. I hope that time he gets some credit from uh, the movies or or the book. Yeah, say. he should. I didn't know that story. <laughs> yeah, he he Great was movie. an influence. Great movie, and then it's uh, he was telling him, you know, to write that down in the book. So. Uh, from from what I know, uh, but it, it's interesting because you just you just mentioned you know you have this illicit market and you have uh, this Operation Pipe Dream and then Greenlane goes public. It, it's how can the government still you know arrest people or have these policies in place while they're actually there's a whole due diligence and approval process for a company like Greenlane to go public on Nasdaq. At the same exact time, same thing with having, you know, two thirds of the country having a cannabis program in place while the federal government still doesn't, even though they keep saying uh, with every administration or, you know, we're going to do something, we're going to uh, we're going to decrypt, but nothing actually happens. So I want to get your thoughts on that, because you're sort of, uh, you know, maneuvering in that space. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, what's the, the current federal policies and what are some of the changes that you think uh, may happen? Yeah, I mean, it just it, it highlights just how um, inefficient our our system is, right? Because if you talk to anybody um, that knows anything about this issue, and people, members of 
Congress, members of Senate, even Supreme Court justices have made comments. Um, there's a big issue between the discrepancy of federal and state law, and it needs to be addressed. Again, we've been everyone's been saying that. Even these members have been saying it for years now, but they haven't got anything done. It just shows you that everybody <laughs> can can be aware of a problem, but that doesn't change the fact of how slow the government is to react to actually solve those problems. And so we're caught up in that environment right now where people are just scratching their head because it's unbelievably hypocritical uh, the way that it's laid out. You actually have, uh, in one hand, um, a schedule schedule designation for cannabis in Schedule 1, which says cannabis, by definition, has no medicinal value, right? And it's highly addictive. On the other, and that's a branch of the government, right, that's scheduling that. That's the DEA. Now you have another branch of the federal government, the FDA, that has given out a uh, approval for a drug that uses cannabidiol. And the reason that it is approved for usage is because the FDA says it has medical value. So you have one side of the government saying, the plan has no medical value. You have another side of the same government saying it does have medical value, and we've issued a patent to attest to that. How can that be, right? And how can you have two-thirds of the population living in states with legal cannabis and the federal government, you know, it's fully legal where, where we live in California. Unless you go through one of those checkpoints down in San Diego, then they can take your stuff. And that's just driving on the freeway, right? And they've taken a lot of people's stuff. And they they won't give it back, right? Uh, no, because they're they're enjoying it themselves mostly. Yeah, yeah I know, right? <laughs> so it, it's it's wonky, but look, I think um, you know, again, the government's inefficient and slow, but eventually things like this they do correct themselves. So everybody agrees, right? It's a matter of when, not if. It will get resolved. There's more activity at the federal level than we've ever seen before. I mean, the House had never voted on legalizing cannabis until uh, last year, and they just voted again on the MORE Act. Um, The Senate had never passed cannabis legal uh, legislation. They just passed a research bill um, this year. So we've never seen this type of activity. Um, People on both sides of the aisle introducing cannabis legislation, cannabis reform legislation. Um, So it just feels like the momentum's there. Um, An interesting thing uh, that, you know, I've talked about before is gay marriage. This was something that um, was done state by state, started in 2004, and finally made legal at the federal level in 2014. Uh, that was a 10-year arc. Um, now, if you look at rec- recreational cannabis, the first state to vote it in was Washington and Colorado in 2012, and the first state to implement it was Colorado in 2014. And so think about where we are. We're right at that 10-year arc. We're in 2022 in November. Will be 10 years from when it was first voted on in 2024 in January will be 10 years from when it was first implemented. I think we could land some federal reform within that window, right? Potentially. But do, do you feel that it needs to go all the way to a Supreme Court type of decision for it to actually happen? Because uh, if, if you look at, you brought up a, a good point about the Senate and the House, uh, you know, uh, voting on the Moore Act, but the Senate has to approve that too, which, which, it looks like they will not. Uh, so is it, does it have to be challenged 
in a way to actually go and have a legislative decision uh, instead? Well, look, I think the pressure is building on all fronts. Um, right now, as we sit, we have this issue where um, the House has approved stuff. They've kicked it over the Senate. Schumer saying, oh, I want more. I want you know <laughs> better stuff. And you know, there's not support for that. And then all the Republicans are saying, you know, just give us something that we can vote on, right? Give us something more middle ground. And then you got people that say, hey, I know we're going to legalize cannabis and that's great, but can we at least let dispensaries put cash in the bank? Can we pass the Safe <laughs> right. Banking Act? Everyone agrees on the Safe Banking Act, right? Nobody's saying that we shouldn't allow this cash to go into the system. Um, so you got all this stuff. And I think ultimately there'll be enough pressure one way or another that people will give and concede and we'll find this middle ground approach through Congress. If that doesn't happen, you've got the executive branch. Biden did say that on his uh, campaign trail that he would decriminalize cannabis and expunge records. Got 2,700 nonviolent federal prisoners are waiting for him to do maybe just a little bit of what he said, um, just one little part. He hasn't done anything. Um, pressure is mounting there. You've got uh, Brittany Griner in prison in Russia for a vape cart. Biden's going to have to ask for her release. You're going you're gonna to tell Russia they should release an American that was just had a little bit of cannabis on them, but you're not going to release the 2,700 nonviolent prisoners we have here today. So again, pressure is mounting on Biden. Um, and, you know, we have three branches, right? We have Congress, we have the executive, we also have judicial. And so you mentioned the Supreme Court and we had Justice Thomas even saying, uh, making comments that this discrepancy between federal and state law is untenable. Um, could this go through the Supreme Court? That could be a route too. Um, even the DEA um, and the Attorney General, they could do something that really unlocks. So you have so many different routes that this could go to get some progress, get, get, get over the hump, right? And get, get to that next phase. The most likely is probably Congress, but you have other avenues. And I think, you know, we'll, time will tell. Um, but with all of those, you know, sh with all those shots going up, you, you got to think one of them might go in. Well, maybe, it'll make, yeah, we'll make a shot. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's funny because the excuse has been, even from the Biden camp about safety, we don't know how safe, uh, this is. And I keep hearing it all the time. Well, we have to do more research on safety. But you just brought up, a, you know, the GW Pharma or now Jazz Pharmaceutical example of Epidiolex. So uh, for, for our audience, you probably know this, but for our audience, in order to do a clinical trial, there's three different phases. And the first phase of any clinical trial is safety. Before you do anything, you have to do the first phase one is safety. Phase two is efficacy. Phase three is scalability, basically. So if you already have a product that went through, and Sativax was actually, uh, you know, something that has some approval is in Europe for, uh, you know, for conditions as well, which does have THC in it. Uh, it's not an FDA approved product yet, but it will be at some point. I think it's going to come back. But you went through those phases already, and you have your federal agency that already gave their check mark that this product is safe. So to come back and say that we don't know how safe it is, then you kind of got to point fingers to your own agency that already checked off and said, it's safe, it's effective, and it's scalable. And here you go. The only caveat to all this is 
well, it's a big pharmaceutical company that did that. Uh, and they were acquired by for $7.3 billion or something like that by Jazz Pharmaceuticals. So I'm just, you know, raising a question. Does it matter that it, this is a, a big pharma play that's doing this versus, you know, companies like, uh, you know, the Cure Leaves of this world or wh- yeah. whoever it is, any of those companies? So I'm just uh, asking a question. Yeah, I think you know the answer, right? I mean, <laughs> the reality is if this was, uh, there was big money interest behind this, with pharma or or you know one of the other big groups in DC, um, they'd probably find the support to get something done. Um, the fact that they're actually have incentive to be against it, um, and you look at some of the politicians who have blocked reform, and they happen to receive a lot of money from the pharma industry, it doesn't take a, a, a Elon Musk to put the two and two together there, right? <laughs> I mean. Uh, campaign contributions. We should just follow the money trail and everything that we do. Yeah. Um, so oh, l- let's roll back. How how did you become like an entrepreneur from being a basketball player and everything you talked about? How did you get into becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah. So um, actually, it was my business partner that got me into entrepreneurship. Um, we went to high school together. His name is Dallas Mbimbo. And uh, you know, he was a serial entrepreneur. Even in high school, he was he ran a DJ business. Um, in college, he started a moving and storage company called Pack My Dorm. Um, and then I unfortunately finished my college career uh, with injuries, um, and so I was getting knee surgery. And uh, I, I met with my old old high school buddy, and he had um, told me about some of the business ventures he was working on. And um, I said, "Well, hey, I'm going to be sitting on my bed." Uh, recovering from knee surgery, I'm happy to help. And so we got into business together and he taught me a lot about entrepreneurship and starting a business and building a business. And then, you know, even cannabis, Uh, I was um, anti-cannabis. I I believe that cannabis, you know, marijuana was not good. Uh, It was bad for your health. I couldn't believe athletes that I was playing basketball with were using cannabis, you know, and Obviously, I was very wrong. Um, I was now exposed to, to cannabis uh, through Dallas, and, and you know that was one of the industries we were looking to get into. And uh, obviously, started Kush Bottles together in 2010. But I learned very quickly along the way about the medicinal benefits, about the fact that the propaganda that I believed was wrong, and that you know, in fact, I wish that I had access to cannabis as a college athlete. I really wish. I could do it again, um, knowing what I know now. Um, so, you know, my my opinions uh, on on the issue evolved in, in part because of him as well. So that's where it kind of goes back to. And we both played basketball, so we both had a very competitive drive. And um, once we got going, and you know, you see how fun it is to start and build a business, you want to do more. And so we were able to do a few businesses together that um, you know we're still involved uh, together on. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun, uh, but I've kind of found my passion for uh, Greenline, formerly Kushco, in the cannabis space and being able to, um, you know, run a publicly traded company and, and build a business globally, which we can do because we don't touch the plant. Um, we can list on NASDAQ uh, right now because we don't touch the plant. And so I've been this at the helm here while well, Kushco in 2014, and then I took over at Greenline uh, last year in September. Um, and I couldn't be more excited, right? I just love what we're doing. I love the opportunity. 
And it's a little bit different, right? Every, a lot of people are in the plant touching side. A lot of people are building brands there, building dispensary footprints. Not, not as crowded where we play on the ancillary side. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity because, you know, look at Apple, even the iPhone uh, business, phenomenal business. But um, they have an accessories business that does $5 billion. Yeah. So there's plenty, plenty of opportunity. And I love, I love where we're positioned. And uh, I want to still be an entrepreneur, still think of cool, exciting ways to, to grow our category and to, to reach more consumers with what we do at Greenland. And I'm excited to, to get some of that stuff rolled out uh, this year and next year as we uh, begin this new chapter for the company. I want to I want to go back to the mindset in in this planning, uh, and and I have some other like personal questions. We'll pretend nobody else is uh, listening. It'll just be you and I and, and Kimberly uh, as well, because I have some marketing questions uh, that are specific. Because we we also don't touch the plant, but anyway, before I get to that, you're in this. You're, you're you and your your friend uh, Dallas. You you guys are thinking about the business. You're 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 interested in cannabis, but. You know, you you probably did the SWOT analysis. You looked at you know some of the risks associated with that, and said, "What can we do?" Like, take me into that mindset, the planning session of Kush bottles. We're going to work on you know this. Uh, we're going to sell picks and shovels, basically. Yeah. What was the what was the mindset uh, and the planning? You know, it was uh, it was pretty. It was actually pretty simple because we were going in, you know, looking at the plant touching side and meeting with. You know, we were talking to people at dispensaries and we had some connections and, you know, just saw this one of our friends trying to get packaging, right? And you mentioned going to downtown LA. He didn't want to take one of the bud tenders off the shift and have her drive. And the guy who was supposed to deliver something didn't show up. And we said, well, why don't you just go to one of the bigger companies? And said, well, we don't need a pallet. You know, the dispensary's footprints back then were tiny, right? They couldn't even take in a pallet. Uh, they just wanted a few boxes. And so we literally said, well, what if we went and got it for you? And, um, you know, it's kind of like, hey, there's there's a business here. Um, so it was pretty, it was pretty you know, it's, they always say, right, it's like, find find a problem, right, and and fix it and you've got a business. And, you know, that's really what it was, was, uh, you know, there's a lot of stores that needed this stuff and there wasn't really an efficient way for them to get it. Yeah, I, I love that because that you're absolutely right. That's, the, the best business ideas come from that. It's just filling a need and saying, I'm just going to do this better, more efficiently than anybody else at a price point that everybody can afford. Uh, you talked about, you know, being an NASDAQ company and not touching the plant, and, but on the marketing side. Uh, so, you know, we have a DNA company that does uh, genetic sequencing and aligning you with the uh, just your own personalized therapeutic uh, approach. Cannabis is one of those things that we look at. What's uh, what is the cannabinoid and terpene profile? It's more aligned with you to avoid an adverse experience and all that stuff. But so we don't touch the plant. But Instagram, Facebook, Google, like all the, when they go into our site and they crawl and they see we talk about the endocannabinoid system or anything of that nature, we get blocked all the time. So we it's the same thing. We we don't touch the plant, but we're pigeonholed in this uh, area that has to do with cannabis. So we're flagged all the time. How do you, uh, how do you get around that even being a, a business that's ancillary that doesn't touch the plant? You, you know, look, I think you, you said it right. I think they're looking for content and pictures that are actually the plan. I think if, you know, the only way to really be ultra safe is to, to not actually post any photos 
about cannabis. You could go a step further and not even mention cannabis, but you know, it is sort of luck of the draw, right? And we saw this where there was companies that are similar to us that had banking relationships, right? And you know, we'd find out. And of course, we call the bank. Oh, hey, you know, we we want to open a bank account. I know you're, you know, know you're working with so and so. And you know, they don't let us in. And and you said, well, why them and not us? And you know, you see that with with um, service providers, uh, with with you know, even with the exchange and what companies they would list. And it's really hard because you know there is a policy, but it's not enforced uniformly across the board, right? For example, you know, I'm sure Scott's Miracle Grow, who's in cannabis, is not experiencing non-plant, you know, they're not experiencing the same issues that you're experiencing, right? But, oh, they're a, they're a you know, a multi-billion dollar company and they have a, a, a non-cannabis, to whatever, right? It, it, none of it adds up and it's very frustrating, um, especially for smaller companies who I think are at a disadvantage. And, you know, that's why they, you know, they need to fix this. But, you know, what's really frustrating too is that these companies are private companies, right? And just just today, right, it was announced, uh, I mentioned Elon Musk, Elon is looking to buy Twitter, <laughs> right? And so you think about that. And if Elon Musk buys Twitter, I bet you they're not going to have an issue with cannabis, right? Exactly. And so... Why can't Twitter just do that today? Why can't Facebook just do that today? They're not breaking any laws. So, and Amazon's another company where you know they're supporters of the industry, right? They want it legalized. Yet, most of my products at Greenlane, we can't sell on Amazon. So, um, I think these companies need to be a little bit more progressive and say, hey, I get that there's a discrepancy between federal and law, and I know that's all going to get figured out. But like it's cannabis, it's 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 okay. We're gonna do it. Amazon already said they're not drug testing their employees for cannabis. Why not just start listing the products? Who's gonna stop them? You mentioned Tommy Chong and this thing. They're not gonna take Amazon to jail for selling bongs and pipes. So I think these companies just need to take that bold step. Again, it's a step we took. It's a risk. Uh, you guys are taking it. Um, just do it. And you know what? Nothing's gonna happen. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, what's the recourse? So, so like Facebook now approves ads th- that are the mention, you know, cannabis or medical cannabis in some way. They're not selling them. They're just talking about it. What's the recourse? What's going to happen to a Facebook uh, or a metaverse, whatever they're called meta now, yeah. whatever they're called. Uh, so w- what would what would happen to them just if they start approving those ads? Nothing. I mean, let's let's be honest, right? And, you know, what would happen is then other companies would too. And all of a sudden, you know, this industry would get quickly more destigmatized. And, you know, I think it would help, you know, lawmakers pass the laws that they know are appropriate, but, you know, they're scared to do it because of the stigma around cannabis too, right? So I think it all works together. And sometimes, you know, the public sector is, um, you know, influencing the private sector and sometimes it's vice versa, right? And uh, when things, you know, just start to to, to happen naturally, uh, eventually policy has to change to reflect what people are actually doing. And I think this is one of those cases where it's high time that we normalize cannabis and big tech should play a role in helping do that, right? They're supposed to be progressive companies, aren't they? 
supposedly, and I and I can guess, if not guarantee, the most or a lot of the executives in these companies are cannabis consumers. Yeah, and you know, and that's another thing that's frustrating, right? If you, um, you know, if you're in a position of power, uh, right, you should use that uh, for good, right? And I think there's a lot of people that, um, you know, are scared to come out and admit that they support this. And if we had more influencers, especially people that you wouldn't normally think, right? Executives and things like that. But NBA players coming out saying, yeah, I use cannabis. What's the big deal? Then it makes it more acceptable and you don't have that stigma and feel like, hey, you know, you're not going to get treated fairly. And I think, you know, I think it's it's a, it's a big thing. I think it's something that, um, you know, will obviously change over time. But it's something that I think, you know, even when we were starting, when we were going public in cannabis and, and all that, we were one of the first companies at Kush Bottles, but then there was a lot of these um, larger companies that were going public on the Canadian. These CEOs would tell investors, you know, now we don't, we don't touch the stuff, you know, we don't smoke the stuff. And I, like, why would you say that? I mean, that, if you were an alcohol CEO and let's say you were sober, you wouldn't advertise that. I mean, now I don't drink the stuff. Right. Um, you know, I just, I just sell it. It just was so weird to me. It's like, who cares? Why are you making it a big deal? Who cares if you use it or not? It's, it's cannabis. You wouldn't do that with alcohol. It's interesting because it's such a, because it's, it's an interesting stigma because even on the influencer tip, right? Like you'll see retired athletes, retired doctors, people who have nothing to lose. Um, I've done a lot to try to get more women celebrities and man, their vice clauses, like the beauty brands and all of the fashion brands do not want to be associated with cannabis. And so while they're great female celebrities who are really into weed, not all one of them is willing to lose those sponsorship dollars. Not all but, but, but they'll but they'll add CBD to all their products so they can sell better on the shelf. Oh, it's a new hot thing. You can just slap CBD on your face and well, be 20 years younger. A C-level celebrity will. All right. Well, there you go. All right. So That's here's a scenario. Uh, nothing. By the way, wouldn't it be nice to see nothing against the Be Real Mike Tyson, but instead of them promoting, which would be normal and natural, we expect uh, Be Real and, and uh, Mike Tyson talk about cannabis. Think about a campaign where Cory Booker and Chuck Schumer come out and they sort of split a joint together. Wouldn't that be a great campaign? Say it's safe and everybody will be uh, okay. Now it's good. Yeah. I mean, well, I think one of the coolest things uh, recently was um, uh, the gentleman, um, and of course I'm uh, blanking on his name, uh, running for Congress in, or for Senate in, um, in Louisiana. Uh, right. Right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. Smoking, smoking the, the joint on yeah. his campaign ad. Uh, I know. I love that. Super yeah, cool. And it really, um, you know, it really uh, kind of changed the game, right? In, in terms of like, wait, wait, politician, you know, you're a person of influence, a politician, you're in a suit. You can't do that. But it's like, why not? That's what people in my district do, right? It was, it was really cool. The, the, the hypocrisy is like, so I, I used to, when, when Obama got elected the first time, I changed my profile pic of Obama with a joint uh, <laughs> with a hat. Everybody, everybody saw that. Yeah. Like a, it was, 
And he's the guy that gave the, I mean, I mean, not, not directly he's the guy, but through his administration, our shops got shut down. So you're like, wait a second. You are the guy who actually admitted you inhaled, and you're the guy that's shutting down the businesses based on what? So you, you have that, all this That hypocrisy. was one of the most frustrating things to see was, again, I mean, I mentioned if you're in a position of power, I mean, this is the guy most powerful in the world and smoked weed, is yeah. cool with weed. Did, not only didn't do anything to help the industry, actually was more um, prohibitive than even the Trump administration. They, they had more rhetoric. Hey, we don't like it. But they never shut anyone down. They never shut anyone down. And there's so many stores um, and businesses closed under the Obama administration you know, it's just, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think, you know, it's really, um, you know, a lesson, I think, you know, hopefully I'm in more and more positions of power in my life and, you know, don't take advantage, don't, uh, don't, you know, that I do take advantage of that and try to inflect positive change, uh, based on, based on my experience and, and don't just, you know, cater to whatever the norm is that, uh, that you're kind of walking into. Right. Uh, appreciate that. All right. So take me back to this visual. Uh, your dad is a, a former prosecutor uh, and you said judge too. Yes. Right? Okay. So former prosecutor, anti-cannabis. You go to your dad and you have this conversation about and sort of in the cannabis business now, dad. And, you know, I don't touch a plant, but I don't. What, what's that interaction and conversation uh, like with your dad? Yeah. You know, I think that um, I, <laughs> I can't even remember specifically the, <laughs> the first conversation, but it was really, that was the framing, you know, back then it was, we had a little easy route, you know, was, yeah, we're in cabs. We don't touch the plant. We don't touch the plant. <laughs> right. And, you know, we'd go to, I'd go to family events and I'd say, well, I heard about your new business. Now you're not actually touching the plant, are you? <laughs> no, 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 no. We're just selling the bottles. You know, it's like, um, that's where you start. And, and mm-hmm. I think, people can get comfortable with that. And then, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it's funny because you evolution of, uh, those conversations with my dad, you know, have come a long way and, you know, look, I think he's, he's tried cannabis and CBD, especially for, for pain relief. And, you know, it's been more and more normalized, but, you know, it's still hard for someone like that, that, I mean, that was the law. He was enforcing the law. And those laws right. were very strict. He didn't make the law. He was enforcing the law. And that's ingrained in you for decades and decades. It's hard to overcome. And I think that's one of the issues that we have is the people running our country are, um, if you look around, on average, a little bit older than most of the people <laughs> living in the country, right? Just and uh, they're out of touch with, with how things have changed. And I think, you know, we need to look at things like term limits and and how do we get how do we actually incentivize younger people to really go that route? I mean, you know, people have said to me, "Hey, you should go into politics," and it's like, yeah, I I think that'd be good, but why would I? Why would anyone? Right? You see the stuff that happens there and the way that they're the mud is slung, and um, you know, it's 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 not a business that's very attractive. I mean, I think a lot of you know, smart people are like, I'm going to, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to make money. Um, but I'd love to see, you know, sort of an evolution of the makeup of, of our, you know, legislators and lawmakers and, 
you know, just get people in that really care, that are passionate, that are, that are um, you know, younger, that are more kind of ingrained in what's happening in today's society um, and get that collaboration. I'm not saying we, you know, can't have anyone in Congress or, or, or in government that's older, but I think a good mix and people being able to collaborate and understand each other um, maybe helps bridge some of the gaps that, you know, are, are continuing to, to divide our country so drastically. I was going to actually ask you if you had political aspirations because you, uh, first of all, being young, uh, being uh, in the know and understand that, and you have uh, you have a really good approach. And you know, I've seen you, uh, like I said, in interviews on TV. I think it would be good. And having more younger people that understand uh, what you, the younger generation needs, I think it's good to get that fresh blood. So, do you have any of those aspirations? Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, I, I obviously it's interesting and exciting. I'd love to be able to be a part of making that change that we've been talking about, right? But on the other hand, like I said, I mean, you know, that's that you go through so much, right? With your family, with everything that demands. And personally, it maybe it's not as rewarding to me as some of the other stuff I could do and the lifestyle I could live. Um, so it's it's tough. But no, at this point. At this point, you know, it's it's definitely not something that's on the table, but that could change. And I, you know, want to finish out what I'm doing here and, and I want to see this industry get legalized. Um, and I love being a part of it and where we are. Things may change. I, it sounds like I can count on you if I if I do uh, want to make that move, I'll I'll, I'll I'll definitely let you know. And you got my vote, man. I'm, right. I'm an I'm by the way I'm an independent registered independent, so I can uh, it doesn't matter. I can swing in both ways and see you know wh- whichever candidate uh, I like. So uh, do you swing both ways, Len? I do. Yes, I do. I, I do not be in, in judgment of me. I have many pronouns that you can use to describe me. So uh, go go for it. Anyone fits. <laughs> so what are some of the innovations that you're most excited about uh within within green lane uh yeah so green lane um where we're uh transitioning as a company is to owning our own brands and um we have a mission statement we exist to elevate all level all, all levels of consumption right so i mean sorry the consumption experience and we know that consumers around the world are consuming cannabis, right? Whether it's they're buying the best, you know, California grown flower that's been tested and certified, you know, and, and, and screened for pesticides and toxins and they're paying taxes or whether they're buying it off the street in some European country, right? At the end of the day, we exist to elevate that consumption experience for that consumer. And we're doing it in the regulated markets, we're, we're doing it in the unregulated markets. And so we're thinking constantly about how do we make that better? We have a brand of rolling papers uh, we're partnered with Burner uh, on called Vibes. And we've really innovated and created some unique form factors that weren't in the market. The Cali, for example, um, has a much wider air hole um, than what you would typically see with a, with a cone. Uh, the Cubano um, is a very big, meant to be social uh, not as ideal during COVID um, when people weren't passing the joint. Um, but uh, we think, you know, again, kind of brings that culture of, you know, cannabis community and, and, and social consumption, um, you know, right to the to a smoke shop or convenience store near you. 
So being able to do that with the papers, which is you know the most traditional form, moving into the electronics, right? We we acquired DaVinci, which makes, in my opinion, the cleanest possible device for consuming cannabis, right? It's a dry herb vaporizer. Um, it has a clean first, uh, which is a trademark phrase, heating, uh, or sorry, uh, airflow tunnel that cools the vapor before it comes into your lungs, right? And so when you're vaping dry, dry flour, organic dry flour, in my opinion, it's probably the, one of the cleanest ways to consume cannabis. Um, so we're, we're super excited about that brand and, and being able to, to look at, you know, how people are now consuming concentrates, you know, dab rigs and all that type of stuff. Um, so really the full range of spectrum everywhere in between, we have a, a glass line, we have silicone uh, products and um, basically want to create, again, those, those different ways to consume the product that match what our consumers are looking for around the world and being able to plug them into the regulated channels um, and, and create those experience, but also be able to offer them in unregulated markets so that um, those consumers can, uh, can also enjoy uh, what it's like uh, to be able to consume with the next generation, best technology that's out there. So we've got, we're, we're super excited on building that part of our business. We're also partnered with C-Cell. So we do a lot of cartridges and we know that, um, you know, vape uh, cartridges and those sales, disposable pens, et cetera, have been huge in the regulated markets. So we're seeing a ton of traction in states like California that keep getting market share uh, increases in the vapor category. Um, so kind of being at the cutting edge of, of consumption trends and doing it both at very large scale with the C-cell cartridges and what we call our industrial business and actually getting all the way to the consumer with our branded products and our direct-to-consumer uh, sales that we make there. We have such a great lens where we're able to see the market across so many different areas. And then we use that to then innovate and bring new, exciting things to the market um, that actually solve problems, right? Going back to the original thesis for, for the businesses, how do we create better experiences and solve challenges that people are having in the market? All right, so is your goal also to expand globally? Absolutely. So, you, so, so what are some of the challenges in different markets? Because, uh, you know, different countries are now regulating cannabis, like Brazil opened up as a fully medical country. You have Germany that has a, you know, medical program that's uh, reimbursed by uh, insurance, etc. Are there different guidelines on things that you can send and not send, uh, import, export? What, like, there must be a nightmare of logistical challenges as well. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's so hard, uh, this industry, as you know, um, so much regulatory complexity. We have to figure out, you know, which products we are allowed to sell where. We have uh, systems where we actually restrict certain geographies, right? So certain states we can't ship certain products to. There was recently a PACT Act update, um, which bans USPS from shipping uh, products or vapor products to consumers. So we had to figure that one out. We ended up getting a B2B exemption from USPS, where I think we're the only company in the industry that got that. And the reason we were able to do that is because we showed them our compliance, right? And how we look at um, and how we restrict all these certain shipments and, and what products can go where. Um, so they were able to give us an exemption for B2B. Now, we still can't ship direct to consumer with certain products 
that are outlined in that. So that's just within our own country. Now you talk about going globally and figuring out what products can be sold where in Europe, Latin America. It's a big challenge, right? And that's why companies like us have to invest so much in regulatory and compliance um, and simultaneously try to make a bottom line uh, to satisfy our shareholders. It's a very delicate and tough balance uh, where you do have to be ultra compliant. You do have to invest in your future, but you also have to run a business and, and get profitable um, so that so that shareholders can get their return and then you know subsequently reward you and, and increase your stock price. So you know we've got our hands full trying to trying to juggle that. Um, but I think we're doing a, a really good job. And you know, I think it's only going to get worse in the near term, right? I think the, the restrictions and regulations are only going to get worse. And it's it's I don't think it's merited. Right. I mean, we talked about alcohol, which is far more dangerous. They don't require age gating on the liquor stores. Right. Anyone can walk in. You can't do that in cannabis. They don't require child resistant packaging on alcohol. But, you know, God forbid uh, my, my son, who's three years old, drank my cannabis, which is child resistant. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah. But he's going to be fine. Yeah. He, drank, he drinks a, a, a thing of alcohol, he could be dead, right? And, and that's so crazy that one is treated one way and the other is treated like it's this nuclear substance that we've got to be really careful. In reality, alcohol, I mean, cannabis, I don't even think should be treated like alcohol. I think it should be treated more like caffeine. Man, I was just going to say that. I, I, this, this, you know... <sighs> Lori Ajax is no longer the, the cannabis artist. I can, I can kind of say this, but having the person in place who's making policy that comes from tobacco and alcohol, that's the way that she equated cannabis. She's like, well, we'll just treat it like that. It's a therapeutic substance. I, like it doesn't, I, I, I never thought of we should create the laws just like we do with alcohol and tobacco. I agree with you. It's a therapeutic substance and it should be treated differently. Uh, I don't. I don't really mind the child-resistant packaging because kids open that shit up much faster than you know my dad can. He's messing yeah. around with the packaging, so kids will open that up uh, without a problem. The, the the thing is that regulating uh, regulating this product uh, like like alcohol uh, and this whole thing of uh, recreational use, I think it sends the wrong message anyway. I have no issue with having adult use cannabis. You're over 21, whatever the law is, you come in, you get your your product, it's fully tested and it's tested so we know that we can get the exact same product whether we're in California or we're in Massachusetts or we're in Florida. It has standards that are the same throughout the entire country. That way we'll know exactly what to get. If you're over 21 and you use it for whatever reason you use it for, Go ahead and use that. It's a therapeutic substance. Should be, uh, you know, treated that way. It's it. It should not be sold like like alcohol because alcohol doesn't have any therapeutic properties. It's it is a recreational yeah, substance. It is a recreational so I just substance. so I just want to I, I just want people to stop like calling it that and separating the two. And if you want to use it as medicine, that's your choice. Uh, medicine. According to you know what the, the the law says, it has to go through a uh, an FDA approved clinical double blind placebo trial and all that stuff. Okay, so when you have that as specific medicine, you know to me it's medicine, but at the very least, let's treat it as as a therapeutic substance and separate the the whole thing with alcohol. 
uh, again. Amen. Amen. I'm with you. Uh, Just a couple uh, more questions. I'm really curious, and it's more for me in terms of, uh, uh, you know, running a business. You have how many employees now? Like over 300, I think I read somewhere. Is it? Is that true? I think we put, uh, I think we put over 250 out. uh, Okay. The count we were using. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, it's a long way from uh, our little operation in Santa Ana um, back in, back in 2010, 2011. Um, so so I was, yeah. I'm, I'm going to ask you uh, regarding scaling and, and personnel and all that stuff, like, you know, having all these employees to manage and obviously you have layers every there. What are, what are the, some of the important, um, I guess, lessons from managing people and putting the right people in place and having these structures? What, what are some of the things you can share uh, possibly as you scale and as you grow uh you know, this, because I, I really believe that people are what makes the company successful. I mean, you can, you can be the best CEO in the world and have great, but it's, it's about the people who are executing on that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about some of those lessons you learned along the way. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it starts with understanding what your role is, right? And your role as a CEO is really to go get those, the right people. You know, you build the team, you, you go get the money to pay for it. Right, um, and you set the strategy. You set the vision. That that's your role. And you know, I think you know what I've learned when you're a small business. It's easy to get everyone in the room. Right? It's like, hey, let's let's huddle up and let's talk about what we're going to do. It's very easy. Everybody's on the same page. When your company grows and you've got layers of management, people spread out throughout the world, it's not as easy as hey, let's all get in the room and huddle up every morning and talk about the strategy. Um, so what you really need is great managers, lead, you know, other leaders in the organization where you can, as the CEO, have that same discussion with a group of senior folks, and then they can go and push that down throughout the organization. So everybody's on the same page. And what we find, you know, what I find is always when there's things are, you know, changing a lot and, you know, it's very stressful and there's a lot going on, there, there becomes a bigger and bigger disconnect between what I think as a CEO, uh, people believe in the vision that they're executing. And when you talk to them, they don't, they don't know, right? They're like, well, I didn't know that's what we were doing. And that's when you have a problem. So I think if you can continue to get that, um, you know, the CEO's message and vision communicated throughout the organization, you're going to do well, right? As you grow and scale and your organization becomes bigger and bigger. And when that starts to break down, you're going to have issues. And, um, you know, it's harder when it's remote too, right? We all had to adjust to that over these last couple of years. So we've been dealing with a lot of headwinds in this industry. We've been dealing with a lot of changes in our business and, and throughout the industry. And we've had to do all of that while it's been, you know, a societal change with the pandemic and how we work and how we uh, communicate. Um, so it hasn't been easy. And we did it with the merger as well, right? With with Cushco and Greenlane. So we're still trying to find really that 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 blend of of how this all works together and how we can actually get. Um, you know, we set a new mission and vision. I mentioned our our mission, right? To to elevate the consumption experience. New vision vision as well um, for for our company and being able to make sure that gets communicated and ingrained uh, amongst all this change and with all these new people. Um, it's a constant challenge. And I think that's really my job as a CEO is to, to ensure that that's happening. 
how how is it different running like a private company that's scaling, that's growing, that's uh, you know profitable, and then being a public company that has to now make sure that you your shareholders are, are satisfied uh, doing these uh, you know these calls, these quarterly calls and monthly calls and and compliance and financial statements like from your role as a CEO. Uh, how how has that changed? Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, it's a whole other business that you're running. That's why I always tell people, right? You, you're running a publicly traded company, and there's um, a strategy there, and there's things that you have to do. There's deliverables, and you know, you're making also you're getting feedback back from the market of what they'd like you to do, right? And then on the other hand, you have your business, and you have your business that needs to run and you have products you need to sell and you have customers that have demands and they're giving you feedback as to what you need to do. It'd be great just to focus on that, but you've got both, right? And they're both in a lot of cases equally important because your capital strategy can drive, you know, can essentially fund your business to be able to grow it. And you, so you need both. And um, as a CEO, it's, it's tough. You know, you have to balance that and you have to always, you know, keep in mind, you don't want to be making the wrong decisions because you know you got noisy shareholders here, and you're making decisions that are going to hurt your customers, right? Because no business can survive without customers that love your product and and love your service. But you have to balance that, and when you can find those two in harmony, you know that's where you can really find the success. But yeah, it's it's a full time job, and um, it does need to be nurtured. And, uh, you know, again, I think you can, you can have the two work together in sync, but it's not easy. Yeah. I, I, I think it, what you said right before that, it's, it's a people thing. Having the right people in place on the operational side of your business. I had a mentor told me, uh, you know, the job of a CEO is always to raise money. And uh, I'm like, no, come on, man. It's the, you know, we'll raise our A round, we'll raise our B round. It should, should be good. But even even when going public and having uh, you know a public company, you're still out there basically satisfying your shareholders so you can capitalize and use that capital to operate the company, make more capital, etc. So it is partially that, and I, I agree with you that it becomes a job that's basically you're you're out there you know r- running the one part of the company that's public while somebody else has to run the day-to-day and making sure you have good people in place, I think is truly important. Uh, do you uh, actually participate in the, the the executive hiring? And what do you look for in uh, in some of those key roles? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's we've talked about how important people are. So, I mean, I, of course, am participating in, especially with the key people and the executives that, uh, you know, are going to be that next level down. And, you know, it's important that there are people that know how to hire uh, the next level below them, right? Because whatever, you know, it's a chain and the weakest link breaks the whole chain. And, you know, you have to make sure that uh, you have everybody on board on the boat rowing in the same direction. So, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a tough marketplace out there. There's been times when people didn't want to come to cannabis because the stigma and they were worried about their reputation and their career. Um, And then there was times when everybody wanted to jump into cannabis because it was so exciting and it was going to go to the moon and everyone was going to get rich. And now we're in another cycle where cannabis is much more normalized from 
a workforce standpoint and, and people don't see it as a career risk, but they're hesitant to get in the industry because of some of the challenges the industry's had and the fact that the federal government is yet to evolve and support legalization. So, you know, you go through all these different phases and, and then, you know, compensation and what you can afford and what you can bring. Everybody wants to get the best people, but this industry has traditionally been underfunded and uh, it's tough to get the best people when you can't pay the most money. So you have to get creative and, you know, all of that's a lot of work, but, you know, it's, again, I think one of the most important parts of a CEO's job is to get those right people, especially the executive team. And so you need to work hard on, on recruiting, on, on vetting, onboarding, and then keeping, um, you know, I can tell you uh, without a doubt that my entire executive team has been recruited uh, consistently over these last couple of years and you've, you know, the, the great resignation and all these openings. And, you know, if you're good at your job, you've, you've gotten hit up. Um, and so why are they staying? People only want to stay because of the people they work with and their, their leader. And they also want to stay because of the opportunity and what's in front. Uh, and, you know, you have to constantly be ensuring that there's a path there that give people a reason to want to be at your company um, and stay engaged and, and get the job done. And, you know, we're very fortunate. And uh, I think a lot of companies have done, you know, made, made a lot of great efforts to survive, even survive in this climate that we've been in. Um, and, and certainly many companies thriving as well. It's, it's, it's incredible to see. Is there anything that you're really excited about for the future yourself, your personal future and uh, the future of uh, your company? Yeah, I am very excited. Um, I have a son, as I mentioned. I'm excited to have more kids. I'm excited to have those kids grow up. It's great being a father. I'm excited to get back to traveling now that the pandemic is over, right? It's, is it is it over? It is. I didn't, I didn't get the memo. It is I, over. It is over. Go. Kimberly, Kimberly, the pandemic is over. You can now can leave your home. Well, as someone who got COVID three weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> and look at you. It's not, it's not over. Fine. But again, it was 24 hours, so I'm good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you're, you're, you look, I think. The reality is, it's still COVID is still here, but the pandemic is over. I mean, you you can just go to go to Las Vegas for a night, and you'll see it's over. Um, there there's no shortage of people out in the clubs and doing their thing, right? Pool parties, et cetera, everything. So, you know, it's great that it's, in my opinion, it's over, and uh, we're getting back to normal. People are traveling. People are going to be back in the office a little bit. We're going to keep flexibility and hybrid work, and I think a lot of companies are. But being able to get back face to face, I think, is an important element to, to any business or any culture, community, et cetera. Um, so I'm super excited about that. I want to get back out and travel, see the world eventually when I'm not working so much. I'm also excited, uh, like I mentioned, there's never been this type of this amount of activity happening at the federal level in terms of potential shots on goal for reform. Um, we've got Safe Banking Act in play. Uh, Senate just passed a research bill. The Moore Act just passed the House. Congressman uh, Joyce just introduced a new legalization bill. Second Republican, Republican in Congress to introduce their own cannabis bill. And we're still waiting on Chuck Schumer's bill, which is supposed to be out on 420, which at Green Lane is a company holiday. Yeah. So how much better <laughs> could it be? We've got 420 as a company holiday. We've got a cannabis 
federal legalization bill coming from the Senate majority leader and our industry continues to grow. We're employing more Americans and more, we're creating more economic benefit in America than any other industry, dollar for dollar, because we're importing tequila from Mexico. We used to be importing Russia from, or vodka from Russia. We, we, we even bring in um, you know, food from around the world. But cannabis, 100% of it in, is, that is sold in the U.S. is produced in the U.S. And those are all U.S. workers at every one of these companies that are in the industry. So what an exciting time for, for, for the cannabis industry, for our business, um, and for, I think, the, the, the people in the U.S. and other countries around the world that are progressing their cannabis policy. And we're now destigmatizing and normalizing not happening as fast as we would like, we talked about, but it is happening around the world. And that's just great to see. And I'm excited for that uh, to continue. And I'm excited for us to get over the hump and eventually cannabis to be not just like alcohol, but more normalized than alcohol, more like caffeine, more like therapeutic herbs, like you said, and um, all, you know, all that. We're going to be a part of it. So it's great. Yeah, supplements. I think that's your first campaign speech, what you just said <laughs> now. You got my vote. That was great. All right. Good. So I have uh, uh, a few questions that I ask all my guests, so it'll be quick and, and painless, I promise. Please describe your first experience with cannabis. And you sort of alluded to the the timing, but maybe you can describe your experience a little bit. Yeah. So um, I mentioned the story of uh, me buying the cannabis. I think that was actually my second time. The first time I had a friend, uh, a couple of friends of mine that were neighborhood friends. And we all went, they were in the park and they were smoking. I never smoked. I took one little hit and, um, I ended up getting really sick. And my brother who did not smoke is very, uh, you know, brotherly thing for him to do. He came home from my friend's house who had the joint. And he says, Oh, he goes, Mike's, Mike's really sick too. He's going to the hospital. And I said, what do you mean? And I'm paranoid. I was like, what do you mean? He said, THC poisoning. <laughs> I said, oh, that's what I have. I told my parents that I smoked this joint. I started losing my mind. And of course, he was just joking. Yeah. Um, and I was perfectly fine after, uh, after a, a couple hours. Um, but that was my first time using cannabis. And uh, again, I was, yeah, I was off of it. I did try it a couple other times. But we couldn't get the beer and uh, we had to buy the cannabis. Yeah. But it made me sleepy and tired, and I wrote it off for 10 years, um, and I got back into it when I was about 25, and now I'm uh, proud to say that I use cannabis, enjoy cannabis, and uh, actually prefer it to other things out there like alcohol, right? Great, great. Uh, so I'm a big music guy, yeah, obvious reasons. I have a bunch of music stuff. What was, do you remember what the first concert that you ever attended was? I do. This is... Uh, this is actually pretty funny. Uh, it was T-Pain. When I was, uh, I think I was in high school, uh, you know, I went to a T-Pain concert in Santa Cruz. Nice. Uh, yeah, auto-tune. It's, uh, it's yeah. funny. It wasn't um, quite as good life. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, 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 I love concerts. I love going to live music. And uh, so, what, so what was the last one that you attended? The last one... I think was last summer. It might've been. So I'm actually on the board of the Orange County Fair. Um, I was appointed by Governor Newsom. And uh, 
you know, we basically work all year. We, we actually uh, do a, a meeting once a month in front of the public. Those have been being done by Zoom, but now we'll be back in person. And we, we don't get paid. But every year, we get access to the fair and the concerts. And so because I'm on the board, I get third row at the amphitheater at the fairgrounds. And I think the last one I saw was a, a Beatles band. I, I forget what they're called. Uh, obviously, tribute band that performed there. And it was, it was really cool. It was, it was good to be back out because this was last summer, you know, and we've been, we've been in, inside for a year and uh, got to go to that concert. So I need to get back on the circuit. Now that I've declared the pandemic over, I should be yeah. going to live shows all the time. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I go at least once a week to oh, see a man, live show. For you. So, I got to come um, hang out with you. Let's go, man. Let's go <laughs> to see a show together. I, I've, uh, I have hookups at the Hollywood bowl and at the forum. I just oh. saw Billy. I took my daughter and her friend to see Billy Eilish at the forum last week. Wow, which was an amazing show! She did that's cool. Show. I've never been to the forum, but I did. I did go to Grateful Dead show at the at the Bowl a couple of years ago. So, so did I. You were you were probably there? Yeah, huh? that Dead and Company. Yeah, yeah. with uh, John Mayer. I was, yeah, I was that was great. Sure. It was great. really good. Got to see Bill Walden up there in the front doing exactly. <laughs> you can't miss him. He's, He's the man. Tall guy. Yeah. Uh, do is there anything you're listening to these days that you want to uh, share and recommend or uh, or anything new? You know, it's funny because I have my um, I have my three year old, so we've been listening to a lot of his songs. Uh, he likes Moana, he Encanto. Uh, we don't talk about Bruno, right? I mean, we got we got those jams going. Um, I actually like hip hop. Um, is my so I I love Drake. I saw his, I listened to his new song that leaked today with Jack Harlow. Um, So that was pretty good. And, um, you know, honestly, because of my son, I've been getting into like some of the more, you know, older music that, you know, doesn't have cuss words. Um, So, (laughs) you know, we were doing a lot of Beatles and stuff, um, but we recently, he's actually into Johnny Cash. So we've been, we've been, uh, we've been dialing that one up and, uh, you know, it's cool. You know, you and I've been getting into country more. I like country music, but um, you know, because it doesn't have any cuss words and hip hop does, so I don't really listen to that as much in the house. But uh, you know, when I get when I get my headphones on or I'm in my car, um, then I can rock out. But you know, look, I've been trying to do more audio books and things like that, so I don't get to listen to quite as much music as I'd like. What's your son's name? Canon. Canon. Yeah, Canon Rome. He's got a power Rome. name. It is a power name yeah. like that. So quick, quick story then uh, uh, about like cuss words and all that stuff. So my daughter, when she was going, I think it was like five or six pre-K, she was going to Montessori. And one of the, one of the projects was you have to, uh, you have to write down all, make a poster with your favorite things, like uh, your favorite food, your, you know, your favorite flavor ice cream and all these things. So, uh, and what your favorite song is. So she wrote a nine, nine problems by Jay-Z <laughs> and I got called in and she didn't know what she was saying. Cause I, I didn't censor anything. I would just listen to everything. And she would listen to all these things. They called us now. Like we don't believe in censorship. Uh, it's, we explain meaning of words and that's, that's kind of it. So yeah, we got called into awesome. nine, nine problems. I love and, that. And so that's, yeah. <laughs> what has cannabis meant in your life? Oh, look, I think it's um, it's evolved, right? And I talked about this, some of that experience, but um, you know, I think in the last ten years, you know, it's been the industry 
that I've been in. Um, so, and it's also, you know, been therapeutic. It really has, right? I think it's something that um, has had me think about life differently, has uh, had me um, kind of, I think, do things that I normally wouldn't have done, you know, experiences and, you know, engage with people that normally I wouldn't have uh, maybe been able to engage that deeply with. So, you know, I look at it as, you know, I kind of think about it as more spiritual, right, than um, than anything else. It's kind of been that spiritual element that's unlocked a lot of things. And most of that's like relationships and, but also thoughts and kind of, you know, thinking about life and existential things and all of that. So, um, you know, I, I think it's also been good for pain relief and good for sleeping and some of those other therapeutic things. So, you know, maybe a good word is the word you use, right? It, therapeutic. I like that. All right, bonus question, and that's it. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. <laughs> that's great, because uh, I'm looking at all your pictures. I was, <laughs> well, you know, magazine cut uh, pages taped on the wall, the whole, entire wall. And it was mostly basketball players. Uh, mostly basketball, some uh, some some probably hip hop uh, stuff as well. So so basketball, like like who who were some of the players? Oh, like, Latrell, like Jordan, Magic. Oh, okay, Latrell. Really? You like Latrell? I love Latrell. Before, or after choking? Uh, oh, which is funny because I'm actually a Warriors fan, um, <laughs> and that's where he did the, the choking. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, I actually became a Knicks fan because of him too, and. Sorry Jordan, about that. Jordan, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jordan, of course. You know, Gary Payton was another fave. Payton and uh, Sean Kemp, uh, the duo. I mean, I even liked Reggie Miller. I, I like, you know, I liked a lot of the players. That I'm still Vince Carter, you know, I was a big fan of him. So, yeah, I remember having all Allen Iverson, Allen Iverson, having all those cutouts on the on the wall, just, you know, being able to replace them every six months. Uh yeah, that that that's what it was like. And having, I remember that big binder. We talked about music. You know, the the four disc, yeah, CD binder. <laughs> you know, I, I like three of those, four of those sitting around. Yeah, that that was that was the room back in the day. Maybe a jersey, maybe a basketball jersey hung up somewhere. Nick, I want to thank you for your time. Where can people find, uh, reach out to you and your company? What are social email? I don't, I don't know where you want people to reach out. Yeah, I mean, look, we're a publicly traded company, um, greenlane.com or um, ir.greenlane.com for all stuff on the business and our financials. And our ticker symbol is GNLN, uh, traded on NASDAQ. And then me personally, I've, uh, I'm a little bit on Twitter. Uh, Twitter a little bit, you know, so tweet a little here and there at Nick Kovacevic. And, uh, you know, I hope to do some more tweeting this year. I remember yeah, last well, year I was off off Twitter for Lent, but this year I'm on. So I, I you're, you're on for Lent. Well, it's good. Maybe uh, you and Elon can get together and uh, he'll give you a chunk of Twitter and then you'll have your own little piece. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, <laughs> um, basically, I was going to announce today that I was open to going in on that Twitter deal with Elon. Yeah. He would provide... Forty-two point nine 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 billion, and I would uh, I would be able to come in for a hundred grand, and we could we could own Twitter together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did send. I, I did. Uh, you know, tweet back and said, "Hey, uh, for one 
one millionth of that, you can purchase my company if you want. It's, it's, a, it's for sale. It's available. You <laughs> yeah, don't have to go to the board either for approval. Too. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, we do. We have a, we're partially owned by a publicly traded company, so uh, we do have to go to a board, but that's okay. They would, they uh, would, have, they would probably be. Yeah, I think they'd be okay. I, I think I have a little bit of influence. In the they're, they're, saying, they're saying the Twitter <laughs> board might not uh, might try to reject this offer. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, they should, they, in my opinion, they should take it. Uh, it's it's pretty good offer. <laughs> Great offer. And uh, yeah. like I said, I think that would bring cannabis uh, big onto Twitter. So I we'll agree. see. We, we got to do a follow-up now. Let's do it, man. <laughs> uh, Nick, thanks so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you having right. me on. All right, man. All the best. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon. And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down. down.